0: These words from Ephesians 6, 1-4. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. As I have ventured further in my consideration of these words of Ephesians 6, my focus has been especially drawn to the words of verse 4. Because in those words, God is speaking directly to me, a father. And I have again been reminded that there are very practical ways, very practical response that you and I must have to our Christian faith. That unless and until our behavior and our obedience, both on the part of the fathers and their children, are brought into the oneness of God's plan and purpose, then these instructions that we're studying here will be of very little value to us. And that's especially so as we consider all the many other outside influences that reach their tentacles into our family circumstances and, and seek to malaffect affect us. So then, may we take this time today and consider how we have gotten to where we are as a family. And then how we can get ourselves back into that condition of oneness that God originally intended for us. These words again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. I recognize that most of my words today will not be new to your understanding and my understanding. But may we say them afresh anyway, so that we can all be generally of the same mind. First, that when our children are born into this world, they are so preciously innocent and naive. They are inexperienced and untested and even unaware of most all of the matters that they'll encounter each day. I have only to watch as my little granddaughters walk through and explore my backyard. They reach to touch the simplest of things, leaves, pine cones, and little bugs. And I realize all over again that things common to you and me are completely new and undiscovered to them. And the same is true, especially with those things of this life that are less touchable. Things of the heart, things of the soul, things of morality and immorality, and especially things of sin. And their innocence makes them easy prey for the enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And those enemies of our soul, they do begin their vile work ever so early in life, ever so early. The evidence of that can be seen when our little ones begin to throw fits at some of the worst times and in some of the most inconvenient of places. They seldom ever throw those same kinds of fits in quiet, secluded places, though that does take place sometimes. But they do their worst, it seems, in the inconvenient places, like in the supermarkets, in our restaurants, in church. A few days ago, one of my beloved granddaughters decided to blast out with one of her fits in a crowded restaurant. All of those things and places are especially difficult. But when we add in the presence of other people, With their judgmental stares, such as in a church, why don't those people take their children to the nursery? Factors like that, those judgmental stares that we know are being directed towards us, they should not matter, but they do. And they come into play because of one thing, our ego. The ego of the mother and the father which brings both the child and the parent to this condition that we're speaking about here in verse 4. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. Ego is such a powerful force within us. Pride is the most destructive force that a person will ever encounter. And we each have an overabundance of it. And in those inconvenient moments of a church service or a crowded restaurant, A parent, especially us fathers, often make choices that we should not make in an effort to quickly quell the that onslaught of that kind of fit that we know our little one is capable of throwing, we respond wrongly. Now yes, secluded within our own home, we might make a better choice. We might have a more godly response. But knowing that we're being stared at by everyone around us brings immediate frustration, wrong responses. And yes, we might try to quietly slither out a side door with our erupting child. But when we get to a secluded place, we too often let them have it with both barrels. Frustration driven by ego. That's sad, but it's true. And if those kinds of episodes take place very often, of which they do very often in the ages of two to three years old with our children, too often even when they take place even in our homes and are not governed by those thoughts of what others might be thinking about us, there's an antagonism between the parents and the children that begins to build and build. And if truth be known, the parent and the child sometimes get to where they don't even like one another anymore. I have seen that take place. Now, yes, those frustrations do mostly subside when the little ones get a little bit older and love then resumes. But unfortunately, listen, unfortunately, those episodes do often leave long-term barriers between the children and their parents that remain hidden beneath the surface. And that's part of the warning that God is giving here in these words. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. May I again remind us of something that was said in an earlier message, that though verse 4 seems to speak only to fathers, the Hebrew word here for father. Pater, also has implications of both father and mother. And it is sometimes translated as parents. So then mothers, you should understand that these words about not frustrating and provoking children to anger equally apply to the mother. And though these words be few and only a small part of one of the scripture verses, it becomes so very important as our children grow into adolescence and teens. That is when the enemy of our soul really begins to be far more effective and demanding. The world, the flesh, and the devil are ever so clever implying their talents on those naive, untested, unprepared adolescents 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. And then on into their teens. And may I again give us the warning that was given in an earlier message that even though our children be young and naive, they will surely at a point become mature enough and often much earlier in life than we think. But when that occurs, then they are fully accountable to God for their behaviors. Again, that's why God directed verses 1 through 3 directly to the children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And we must understand that once our children reach this point of maturity and they are accountable to God for their behavior, there is no turning back. There's no turning back. They are from that day forward always fully accountable directly to God and they will surely stand accountable before Him on that day of judgment. So parents, may we consider some of the origins then of the circumstances that have brought us to where we are as parents. In today's culture, For the average family, in today's culture, parents just spend less and less time with their children. Parents work and their children spend most of their waking hours in daycare and in school. Sometimes even going back to daycare after school for after-school care, providing less and less time for parents to be the loving parents who train up their children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The inevitable result is that parents are less patient with their children and listen, and their children are prone to less honor and respect and obedience towards their parents, which adds even more to these words, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Listen, simply put, the continual absence of the parents within the daily life of the child sets up the condition within the heart and mind of both of them, both the parent and the child, by which both are more easily provoked. In other words, and listen, in other words, the provocation actually begins without words. Without words. It is instead brought about by the absence of the parents. We parents seem to be universally blinded to all that's taking place. We drop our children off at daycare or we send them off to school and as we pick them up later, if no major trauma has taken place, we blindly think that all is going well. But it is not. It is not something very, very important is missing. It's those last words of verse 4. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now yes, in those relatively few moments that we have with our children each evening, we might give them some godly correction. We might even have time to read the little ones a bedtime Bible story. But listen, the success of our efforts begin to become very clear as our little ones then grow on in to their adolescence and and teens and their behavior is far more reflective of the culture around them than of our breadcrumbs of teaching and training and admonition of the Lord that we've been able to pass out to our children. Again, May I say with all the emphasis I can muster, the absence, the absence of training and teaching and admonition and nurture is just as much a provoking of our children to anger as the spoken words that might take place later on in our explosive conversations. The teaching and training and admonition of the Lord must begin early. And it must be given often and spread throughout the many circumstances of a day. It is in those practical moments of daily life that some of the best lessons are learned. Folks, again, I realize that I'm saying things that you and I already know and understand. But they must be said aloud over and over again. We know that we must do that and I must be doing that now here from this pulpit because that's what God does and that's what he was doing here in these words. He has said so often these very things that we're talking about here and he goes back though and he repeats it again because we hear without hearing. And he wants us at some point to begin to hear with our heart. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. If we are going to be fathers and mothers, then we must take that responsibility and shoulder it every moment of every day. May I state a simple truth that my favorite mentor said to me one time, Dr. Paul Cully. He said, God's will does not ever conflict with itself. God's will does not ever conflict with itself. Yes, as a father I am to work regularly. And I am to dedicate myself to my work and to do it with all of my heart as unto the Lord. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. And I'm warned that if I do not work, these scriptures tell me in 1 Timothy 5 that I am worse than an infidel. So then yes, as a father, I must work and provide for my family. But I'm also a father. And the two concepts do not conflict me being a father and me being a provider for my family. They do not conflict. God will provide enough time in every day for me to do both. And I must do both, else I am falling short of God's blessed plan for my family. Again, I say to us with all the emphasis I can muster, God's will does not ever conflict with itself. We can and we must do it all. So then fathers, we must know the responsibilities that God has laid out for us. And we must without delay, immediately upon the birth of our children, get out ahead of their development and begin to diligently teach them about the truths and the ways of God. Such admonition from God is given to us all through these Scriptures, but especially well in words that I quote to us often from Deuteronomy 6. Listen to these words again. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon thine heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them while you sit in your house, as you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign upon your hands and upon your forehead and you shall write them upon your doorposts and your gateposts. Those are precious truths that we fathers must diligently be about each day. Throughout the whole day. And we must be warned by these words here. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now those words about us fathers not provoking our children, I want us fathers to be warned that there's a special fatal pitfall that resides within the equation between the fathers and their children. And that pitfall is that we fathers also have that same sinful nature within our souls that has been born into our children. But fathers the responsibility is still ours. And it's on our shoulders. Unlike those innocent children whose nature is still unaware and untested and uncorrupted, the nature within us fathers has had the opportunity of many years to develop and mature. And hopefully, hopefully, we have somewhere within that number of years surrendered to the plans and purposes of God. And if we have not fully surrendered, then we must start there. We must start there. That's why the beginning words of this exhortation in Deuteronomy 6 is directed to us fathers, where he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your strength. These words which I command you today shall be upon your heart. If a father has an unbelieving, unrepentant heart and does not know and love the truths of God, he will have no ability, whatever, to teach them to his children. Folks, listen. Most all good teaching is not just academically taught and learned. Good teaching must carry with it a commitment within the heart of the teacher. Children must easily detect the heart attitude of the teacher. If the teacher believes the things that he is teaching, then the children will be more readily able to accept what that teacher is saying for themselves. But fathers, we must beware. If we don't fully believe and accept the truths that we are teaching to our children, then neither will they. Neither will they. So then, absolutely... Without fail, fathers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be upon your heart. Now with that foundation, then, we are to then turn and teach them diligently to our children. We must believe it first, have it in our hearts first, solidly. And then turn and teach it to our children as we sit In our house, as we lie down, as we rise up, as we walk along the way, we're to bind it on the palms of our hands. Everything that we do with our hands has to have the truths of God within it. Everything that we have in our minds says bind it upon the foreheads. Everything that we think has to have those same truths embedded within them. And we shall write them on our doorposts and on our gateposts. Anybody that gets near our house needs to know That's a Christian family that lives there. And they act like it. Now a question, as we read these words here about teaching these commands. What are those commands? Are they the Ten Commandments? Do they also include all those Old Testament laws given in the book of Deuteronomy? In a sense, yes they do. But thankfully, Jesus explained them more appropriately for... You are in my generation. And the Holy Spirit rewrote them through the writers of the New Testament so that you and I can better understand them. And it is in these Scriptures that the Spirit and the power of God reside. This is the very breath of God. That's what the Scriptures tell us. This is the very breath of God. And it's in these scriptures that the power of God resides. As fathers, we must understand that we must not substitute our battle-worn, homespun, bootstrap wisdom for these truths, these powerful truths that are here in these scriptures that come directly from God. But we must do instead as He commands And that is we must give our children His truths, His commands, His wisdom. It is by His words of truth and His wisdom that our children then will be able to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and grow into godly and mature young men and women who will then in turn teach these same truths to the next generation, our grandchildren. May I close with these words? This is from Second Timothy 3. And this is the authority of the words that you and I are to teach to our children. Second Timothy 3 verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration. And again, that word inspiration means the very breath of God. This is the very breath of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Everything that we will ever need to teach our children is in these scriptures. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man, the child of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray.